So Money episode 320, Merry Christmas. I'm giving you the gift of Tim Gunn once again. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode is an absolute dream come true for me. I mean, I'm actually having an out-of-body experience right now. I don't know how I'm doing this introduction, but somehow it's happening. Tim Gunn is here, the Emmy Award-winning co-host of Lifetime's mega hit show, Project Runway. Tim is fashion royalty, and he's had a very long-lasting career as a mentor and educator with roles like chair of the Department of Fashion Design at Parsons School of Design, fashion Dean at Fifth and Pacific, and Chief Creative Director at Liz Claiborne. He's also a New York Times bestselling author, and most recently, he has an upcoming show debuting this November, November 12th, called Project Runway Junior. The show will focus on up-and-coming emerging young designers aged 13 to 17, and Tim will co-host alongside supermodel Hannah Davis, Kelly Osborne, Christian Siriano, and executive fashion editor at Cosmo and Seventeen Magazines, Aya Kanai. Be sure to tune in November 12th at 9 p.m. Several takeaways from our time with Tim, things that I don't think you ever knew about him, particularly from his financial life. Like, first of all, did you know that Tim did not get paid when Project Runway first launched? And not just the first season, the second season too. His so money moment after years of living paycheck to paycheck as a pauper educator, he describes, and how he received a surprise $50,000 inheritance in the 1990s and how he used it strategically. And by the way, a little fun fact for you, Tim and I used to live in the same building and uh, you better believe that I brought that up. Here we go. Here is the lovely, the talented, charismatic Tim Gunn. Tim Gunn, welcome to the show. I am totally fangirling right now. It's such an honor to have you on So Money. Well, thank you. I have to tell you, I'm, I'm fanboying because I'm <laughs> such a fan of yours. Thank you. I have to confess to you, Tim, that you know we actually physically crossed paths on more than one occasion, but I was always way too starstruck to properly introduce myself. Oh, we actually lived. No. Yeah. So let me share with you. We used to live in the same Upper West Side apartment building, and in fact, the day that I went to check out the the unit that I was about to rent, I hit the elevator button and. And there you came walking out and I thought, I am taking this apartment. If it's good enough for Tim Gunn, it has to be a great place to live. Um, But you know what? I would actually dodge the elevator later on if I saw you entering it because I was often wearing my gym because I was wearing gym clothes and I never felt dressed up enough. Were you going to the gym? I was coming back from the gym or going to the gym. And I just felt like I wasn't in my best attire to be in your presence. (laughs) Uh, listen, I have such respect for people dressing appropriately for the occasion. So you were coming back from the gym. You were dressed yeah. perfectly appropriately. I mean, now, you know, you, you told me that you weren't going to the gym. Right. You'd be, be like, where, yeah, we would have some awkward <laughs> elevator silence. Um, but you're the nicest man. And just one more thing about that. A couple of times you actually saw me and you would hold the elevator door and say, uh, would you like to come in? And I would duck into the mailroom and say, no, thank you, because I was wearing yoga pants. And so, I feel terrible. 
Don't feel bad. This is totally me. This is all me, Tim. This is this is just a little bit about who I am. And um, it's funny are, because are we still neighbors? We're, we're not. I I move. I live in Brooklyn now. So oh, okay, <laughs> perfectly acceptable. I love this building, though. I'm talking to you from it now. Oh, it's lovely. I loved all the people who worked there. I miss them, and um. It was a, a great neighborhood. So I'm um, glad that you are yeah, still happy there. And so to say that you're the kindest person is an understatement. Although I must say, Tim, you lost your cool a bit on this season's Project Runway. Oh, did I ever? Yeah. And I have to tell you, it was, it was a long time coming. It was a long time building. I say about myself that I'm very flexible and accommodating. I bend and bend and bend until I snap. And it's not pretty when it happened. And it happened. I mean, my frustration with Swap Mill had been mounting since the first day he arrived when he had absolutely no toolkit, nothing, not even a pair of scissors. And he just felt that the sense of entitlement that we would just supply him with everything. Well, guess what? We're not. And from that moment, things spiraled down. And, and having to do with this work ethic, I, I know how talented he is. I I was so annoyed by how little he invested in his work, um, time wise, creatively. There, there, just there, there's no, there, there's not a good work ethic there. I don't care whether the, the designer's work is good, bad, or indifferent. What I care about is that, that they're investing a thousand percent into the work. Mm -hmm. And I felt that Swapnil was investing about twenty five percent, and it just annoyed me. And I will also add. I was getting more and more annoyed with the judges because I would say to them, look, he's still here. Look at this work. You're saying it's, it's subpar, but you're not doing anything about it. He's, he's not won a challenge. He's been on the bottom several times, but I need your help here because frankly, he's bringing down the entire workroom. So with last week's show, when I'm presented with nothing, and his models presented with nothing other than this leather that's draped around a dress form and that's, and that's pinned. What have you been doing for a day and a half? What have you been doing? Yeah. Do you think so, he got anyway, it? I Do you think snapped. that he got it? Do you think that he was, he understood his, his lack of work ethic? No, no, <clears throat> no I really don't. Um, I think it's just who he is. And I should have simply accepted that at the same time. I felt as though, and this goes back to the judges, I felt as though my words to him were hollow because the judges, while they weren't heaping praise on him, he was still there. I mean, I, I just, I, I was flabbergasted by it, but I, I, don't, I don't even want to start talking about the judges anymore because <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking. Well, I, I, as a viewer, you can't help but think sometimes, and not just with Project Runway, but with a lot of contest reality shows, that they sometimes keep people on simply because they're good television. And the fact that you were getting upset well, with him, maybe that was uh, worth another episode or two down the line so people could come back and see what's Tim going to say next to this guy. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I will tell you this, and I'm very, very proud of this aspect of the show, and I know it's rather unusual. We 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 don't manipulate. We we just don't. I mean, the, the button bag is real. Um, there was talk. I, I, I seldom read um, the comments that are posted on my Facebook page or on Twitter, but I did because someone gave me heads up and said, I think you need to look at these comments because you might want to respond. And people were saying things like the whole thing was a setup that the producers intentionally gave swap mill a, a difficult client. Well, if that were the case, then why did we give Ashley 
the first opportunity she's had all season to work with some with a model who's larger than a zero or a two. So Ashley finally had what she had been talking about all season. She she wanted to work with someone who was well larger than a in this case a a, a twelve, mm-hmm. and she blew it. I mean, she completely and totally blew it. So there there just there really is no manipulation, and the judges know nothing about the drama. That they know nothing. I mean, unless it's enacted on the the runway. Um, they only, so they, I, I purposely, and the producers also don't tell them about what's go, going on in the workroom. So that's not altogether true. When I have my presentation of the models wearing the top and the bottom looks to the judges, that's when I can be a big mouth. And this season I was, and especially about, about swap mill, just saying he's bringing down the whole tone and tenor of the workroom. He's lazy. He visits with the designers and distracts them from their work. He's out smoking 15 minutes every hour, which collectively is more than two hours out of the day that he's not in the workroom or in the selling room. And it's just irksome. Anyway, I'm getting all heated again. I apologize. <laughs> Sorry. Well, um, <laughs> no, no, no. It's, uh, it, as you said, it was a long time coming and Project Runway is now in its 14th season. Is it true that you had doubts about this show when you were originally asked to be a part of it? And I also read oh. that you didn't get paid the first season. Is that true? First two. <laughs> the first two seasons. Who was negotiating I mean, for you? That was you should have fired that well, person. No one. <laughs> I mean, I, I I received a cold call in in my office at Parsons. At that time, I was chair of the Department of Fashion Design. It was and it was a cold call from uh, two of the producers of this new show, and they said that they they were looking for a consultant. And I said, fashion reality. I said this industry has enough trouble without that. And I really didn't want to meet with them. And they said, well, just give us 10 minutes. And I had written down their names and I Googled them and I found out that they were the Project Greenlight producers. So I thought, well, they have a seriousness and, and, and integrity. So this could be interesting. And when I found out that they wanted to work with real fashion designers, I was instantly placated. But yes, well, and my role on the show was in no one's vocabulary at that time. It happened mere days before the designers were arriving. And I, no one said this to me, but I, I, I just conjectured that they were the producers were afraid that the designers would go into the workroom and no, no one would talk. They would just work, work, work. But by sending me in or someone like me in just to probe and to query, they would be assured of some conversation. But at the same time, I never dreamed I'd be in the cut of the show. I thought as long as they have the designers responding to me, no one needs to see me. No one needs to hear my voice. And you're quite right. The first two seasons, I wasn't paid at all. And I didn't know that people were paid for reality television. I was at a Glad Media Awards dinner in Los Angeles. um, And this gentleman came up to me and introduced himself. And he asked me, "Who, who represents you? And I said, no one. He said, you have no representation? And I said, well, why would I need representation? He said, contracts, payments. I said, well, I'm, the only payment I get is from Parsons School of Design, and no one's going to need to negotiate that. And I said, it's not as though I'm getting paid for anything. He said, they're not paying you? 
I said, no, it's reality television. He said, we need to talk. <laughs> yes. And that was. That a, agent saw dollar ago. signs in his eyes. Yes. Well, and he's been wonderful for me. I have to say <laughs> he's been he's been a godsend. Uh, project Runway Junior is your latest project. It launches in November, November 12th. I love that you're featuring young people ages 13 to 17. How did you have to adjust if at all, your teaching style with the younger class. What, has your approach had to change? Well, I have to tell you, I was very nervous about it. I have occasionally worked with teens um, through the uh, Cooper Hewitt uh, National Design Museum of the, of the Smithsonian. They have a teen education program. In fact, I'm hosting the teen design fair this afternoon. Amazing. Um, so, I, so I was apprehensive. I'm used to college students and adults. And I thought, appropriate to your question, that I'd really have to amend my whole manner and style for these young people. Well, I have to tell you, they completely and totally blew my mind. They are so talented. They are so deft at execution. They are so mature and professional in their behavior. They're old souls. I couldn't get over it. I thought they're more mature than the season 14 designers and their work is better. It was just, so no, I didn't, I didn't adjust at all. That's amazing. Um, That's really nice to hear because, well, I guess they're not really the millennials. They're the Gen Z, right? Millennials are largely who's coming on project runway. Now the, the, yes. the, uh, marquee show, but this is the the next generation. What what have you deducted from them as far as personality? I mean, they seem to be not as entitled perhaps yet. <laughs> They're not. I mean, I, I was expecting that. I was expecting a, a workroom full of in, these entitled young people. I mean, a lot of it I attribute to, to excellent parenting. Um, and the parents are on the set. They're not on camera, but they're there because of child labor laws. And I was blown away by them and by their the, the discipline that with which they they held well with, with which they interacted with with their son or daughter um, or guardian and the the tough love aspect I was really impressed by it and I have to tell you I we we were all when I say we the judges and I were all dreading the first elimination thinking, oh, what are we going to do? Yeah. These kids are going to fall apart. Well, they didn't. They were stoic. They were professional. They thanked everyone for the opportunity. They were amazing. Who's bawling and in tears? The oh, judges and me. Yeah, <laughs> I want to cry right now, just the thought of this. Yeah, that's, it's it going to be heartbreaking. And I understand. Well, also, yeah, go ahead. No, I just, just wanted to add that when the judges saw the, the, the designers work from the first challenge, they turned to me. And after the show and said, so who made the work? What do you mean who made the work? Really? Well, the designers designed it, but who made it? I said, they made it. They said, what? <laughs> they have, they, they made, they have help. No, they have no help. They have extra time. No, they have no extra time. Same, same parameters as, as regular runway. They were. They could not believe it, and I don't think the viewers will either. But wow. I'm happy to tell you that it's true. They execute everything. No extra hands. Well, everybody, reserve Thursday, November 12th at 9 p.m. on your DVR. Just run home to watch it. That's going to be a great kickoff. And I understand that Michelle Obama, First Lady Michelle Obama, will be making a cameo. She will indeed. 
What do you want? She will. Tim, describe her style in one word because she's so stylish. Um, Can I use three words? Yes. Elegant and accessible. I love it. Very accessible. A lot of her stuff is made yes. here. It's she loves J. Crew. Can I ask you a fundamental question though? Sure. How is it that this exceedingly fashionable yet accessible first lady hasn't had more of an impact on how people on Capitol women on Capitol Hill dress? How how can it be? I just don't understand it. I've spent a good deal of time on Capitol Hill, not recently, but um I spent a, a good deal of time a number of years ago when the Obamas were in, had first come into office. Um, I was advocating for the Design Piracy Prohibition Act, which would give fashion designers in this nation their intellectual property, which they actually don't have. Um, but people were running for me saying, I didn't know you were going to be here. I didn't. I, I would have dressed up. I'm thinking, <laughs> See? you're a representative yeah. from your constituencies. What do you mean? <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe, it, maybe it's a combination of, you know, Michelle has a team. You know, she's not going online to jcrew.com and buying the clothes. And she has people making stuff for her. And perhaps it's that they just feel they don't have the time or the resources. I don't know. She does pay for everything. That's true. That's Mrs. Obama. True. She does. She pays for everything. Now, um, but you're right. I, but she certainly doesn't have the time to be browsing web pages, though. But, but I agree with you. Know, DC they, is just full of gray, navy blue, and black. Like there is not even any color there. I know, and and most of the women are wearing clothes that are too big, and it's just it's so unflattering. I don't, and I just don't understand it. Our, our appearance is important. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I come from the world of academia where, where the, the, the pervasive attitude was, I'm too smart for clothes. Mm. So I'm just going to wear my flannel pajama bottoms and a, sweat, and, a, and a sweatshirt. What? You're standing in front <laughs> of a classroom filled with students. You are a role model. What do you mean you're too smart for this? Well, speaking of classroom, yeah, it, I mean, I, I love, I wish there were more Tim Guns in the universe. And speaking oh, of, I really, I do. Speaking of classroom, though, Tim, you know, you spent, as we know, many uh, years behind the scenes as a teacher, college administrator. It wasn't until age 50 that you embarked on this world of television and the red carpet and, <clears throat> excuse me, best selling books. In what ways have you grown by all of these? relatively recent experiences and what are you learning about yourself as you've amassed all this fame and fortune? Oh, well, you're, you're, you flatter me by saying fame and fortune. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I have to tell you, I never think any, I never expect anybody knows who I am. I mean, I'm on the subway a couple of times a day and I walk the streets of New York constantly. Um, and, and I'm surprised when people say hello. Um, but I will say they're lovely. You know, that's a really Wonderful question um, about how I how I have evolved in my own thinking about myself. I mean, it's it's a huge honor to to believe that I, I I'm a positive role model, uh, especially in this day of so many horrible, awful role models out there and bad behavior um, ever increasing and. Um, though again, I had a lot of bad feedback about my behavior last week, but that was, that was an exception. Um, and well, actually, you know, that the, my behavior in last week's show speaks to, I, I, I have an operative mode, which is take the high road, no matter how much strife and consternation you're faced with, 
take the high road. However, <laughs> when the high road gets so high that you get a nosebleed, get off it. Yeah. So that's what happened to me last week. But I mean, my, in some ways, I'm, I'm, well, I'm not stumped by your question as much as I'm trying to be thoughtful in how I answer it. I mean, for me, this whole thing, I'm now 62, so this, this happened 12 years ago. This whole phenomenon is so surreal for me. I still have difficulty wrapping my brain around it. Really? Um, I feel so lucky, so mm. fortunate. There isn't a single day I don't thank my lucky stars. And I think part of it comes from having spent most of my life as a, a pauper educator. I mean, I, I worked tremendously hard. I, I loved my work. Um, and it, I mean, it was so fulfilling. And, and I never dreamed I'd be a teacher. I mean, that's from my point of view, not on the stars, but it happened. And then it ended up sticking. And I mean, I'm always talking about life's serendipitous path. You don't know where it's going to take you. And you need to be ready. You, you need to be ready to seize opportunities. And when something is percolating in front of you or beside you, you need to be ready to nurture it just to see what it might become because you just, you just don't know. Otherwise we're just stagnant and, and nothing happens to us. You totally um, took a leap of faith. <clears throat> you totally, you took an entirely well, leap did. of faith with, yeah, with Project Runway. You do, you were unpaid for two seasons. That's impressive. <laughs> well, and I never, I never dreamed there'd be a second yeah. season. Um, Never. And I mean, even the, the whole, I mean, Runway had a very rocky beginning in many ways. Um, the producers and I had quite a number of conflicts. Um, and I'm happy to say that I won most of them. I mean, among the conflicts, they wanted a sample room. They didn't think that the, that the designers should make the work. Uh, they wanted a sample room with seamstresses and, and pattern makers and um, uh, tailors. And I said, wait a minute. If the audience doesn't see the designers getting real and metaphorical blood all over their hands, who's, who will believe this? And who does Heidi send home? I, would, I wouldn't. If I were the designer, I'd blame the sample room. <laughs> I wouldn't accept responsibility myself. And the other um, big difference that we had had to do with Workroom access. I mean, the show was never intended to be to be uh, taped at Parsons. That was that was not a, in the cards. Um, we were outfitting a loft space in the apartment building in which the designers were living, and the idea was the producers' idea was give them twenty four hour access to the to the loft. And I said, but wait a minute, this isn't this is enough of a stamina test without now looking at issues of serious, severe sleep deprivation because that workroom is open. Let's open it and close it at the same time so it's an even playing field for everyone. If the designers decide to stay up all night in their apartment, that's a whole other matter. But at least we're not fueling this. Right. So we, we know that didn't happen either. But And the loft space didn't happen because we didn't have the budget. And I knew we were taping in August, and I said, well, Summer school's over. The fall semester hasn't begun. We're empty. So if you want to come over and look at it, let's look at it. And that's and that's how it landed at Parsons. You often say <clears throat> that you have to make it work. It's your famous catchphrase yes. on the show. And it's not just in reference to the fashion world. This is really a universal ideology for you. And you've written that this wisdom arrived for you, Tim, at a really young age, Growing up in D.C., can you share with us a, a story about how the when this was relevant to you in your personal life at a young age? 
Well, I was, I spent most of my childhood running from unpleasantness and, and controversy and um, anything that made me feel ill at ease. And it was bad uh, because as we're growing up and it's true as adults, but it's especially true when we're growing up, there's so much that we face that is difficult and challenging and it's important to face it, not to run and deal with the existing conditions and make them work. Um, it's so easy to write uh, uh, a fantasy scenario about what you'd like the circumstances and conditions to be, but they're not. And you just have to own responsibility for that. And as I keep saying, make it work. Just accept that the circumstances aren't going to change. So how do you address this? Mm. Now, um, on this show, guests often share with me their number one financial success story. Their so money moment. And it could be anything from a great investment to when they paid off all their debt, maybe a time when they were able to be very, very charitable. What is one of your so money moments, Tim? Well, actually, I, I'm I'm proud to say that I have I have a lot. <laughs> You're I mean, so money. I was, <laughs> I, yes, exactly. I mean, I really have a lot. I mean, when I was, I, I refer to myself as a pauper educator because I was. I mean, even though I was running by the end of my academic career, I was running the largest academic department at Parsons and at the New School, the the mother university. I was making nothing, um, I, literally living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. And that's how I'd spent my life and, and amassing debt. And my father died and left me. I, I, I don't mind sharing how much, this wasn't a lot, but it wasn't a little either. He died and left me $50,000. This was in the mid nineties. And that and it was a total surprise. I did not have the best relationship with him. In fact, my mother was even alarmed. He left you what? Oh, um, no. And and I used it to pay off my credit card debt, which I then completely st- stayed out of debt and was committed to staying out of debt. And then, of course, well, reality tel- television doesn't pay a lot of money. It doesn't pay nothing, but it doesn't pay a lot. But I, I bought an apartment, the apartment where we met, or the building where we met each other. Um, I bought an apartment in 2009 when the market had really, uh, the, the New York market had just gone sour. And I talked to my financial manager and asked, you know, I'm paying an exorbitant amount of money in rent. Do you think I can actually afford to buy something? And he said, well, within limits, yeah. So... I mean, I, I went after the um, contract was closed and, and, and we went into whatever you go into and the deal was done. It's a matter of public record. And there was a fair amount of bad mouthing of me for what I paid for the apartment because they felt that I had taken such gross advantage of the owners. Well, I, the owners had, there was a, there was a price. I, I offered a hundred, 200,000 less. They came back and counter offered at a hundred thousand more. So a, a compromise, 50, 50, mm-hmm. and I accepted it. So it happened to be 300,000 less than they'd paid for it in 2000. Well, that's not my fault. Right. So we all know that <laughs> they should be happy. They found a buyer. They should be happy. I they know. Found a buyer, frankly, it's just business people. My goodness. It's just, 
Oh. business, but um, but the apartment has has uh, done nothing but appreciate. I took my thirty year mortgage and turned it into a fifteen year mortgage. I thought I don't want the apartment to outlast me, um, and it's been it's just been wonderful. And I'll also add, I have a wonderful, wonderful. Um, financial planner slash manager who takes care of all of my finances. And, and I don't have, having been a pauper educator for so long and living paycheck to paycheck, I, I don't have a lot of wants. Really? Um, I have basic needs and I, and, and it's not, I certainly don't practice self deprivation, but I don't take vacations. I don't have a second home. I don't own a car and and never will, um, and I I uh, am responsible for my own wardrobe on any show that I do, and I shop with a budget accordingly because I need a lot of clothes. They don't um, give you a wardrobe budget. I'm sure Heidi Klum no. gets a wardrobe budget. You know, I don't know how it operates with Heidi, but I also know that I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a she good policy. She lives in a rarefied universe. Mm-hmm. She's um in a very different category than I am. Well, and I have great respect for that. And I feel lucky to work with her. Yes. Yes. Well, I, so you don't like to, you don't have a lot of of wants, but is, is there one expense that you have, uh, something that you spend on that makes your life easier or better? I ask this of all of my guests. Well, to be perfectly blunt, it's, it's, um, Paula Perez, who's my housekeeper. She takes care of my house and, she has, um, I, I met her through the person who's become my go-to handyman for everything, Gilberto Rosales. And, and they're, they're, um, uh, they have a partnership, not in life, but in, in business. And so I met Paula through Mr. Rosales. And she's, I mean, I've never let anyone paint an apartment of mine or clean it because no one does it better than I do. Well, Mr. Rosales and Paula do. So that's they're they're I, they're my splurge. I love having them come and make everything ship shape. Nice. I, I, I hear that quite a bit from guests that investing in other people helps them make their lives easier and better. A question it from does. I have a question from one of my best friends, Kate. She knew I was going to interview you. She's a reporter, editor in DC, in fact, uh, a journalist. She's fabulous. She's trying to spend more money on fewer high-quality clothes, but she says the, that they even seem to rip and fray. So any advice on finding garments that last, where to shop, what to look for in the in the make of the outfit? Because I think that's a lot of times there are markups on clothing. You think you're getting a quality piece and you're really not. You're just getting the brand name or a look. Well, and and exacerbating all of that is the fact that that every every wholesaler um, is looking for um, economies because retailers are, are demanding that the um, markup be less and less and less. Um, so rather than having, we'll say 12 stitches per inch, we'll have six, um, rather than having four buttons on that, the, the jacket sleeve, um, we'll have two or none. I mean, or vents and jackets, um, a double vent of course is going to cost incrementally more than a single vent and that will be incrementally more than no vent at all. So everyone's looking for these economies. I always say when you're buying a garment, 
take it into the dressing room and really examine it. Put it on, see how it feels. Um, look at it if it's if it's a, um, a, a top, whether it's a shirt or a, a jacket, whatever it may be. Have, see it on the hanger. See how the uh, the sleeve is set into the bodice. Um, your eye will tell you. Your eye really will tell you. And the only thing that I want to add about um, fraying and things falling apart, do look at the um, care instructions. Because I know people who just think, well, well, everything can be dry cleaned or everything can be washed um, or things can be steamed. Well, those some of that care that's not correct will really ruin a garment that otherwise would be just fine. So people have to be very mindful of that. And here I am thinking that you can dry clean everything and you can steam everything because that's probably the gentlest way to uh, to make something look better. But if you take a, a, a jacket that's tailored, um, there is an infrastructure uh, behind the, the exterior textile and the lining. Um, it will be horsehair or buckram or something. When that gets moist, it tends to lose its its purpose, which is to give the structure to the garment um, through this infrastructure. It's like the foundation of a house. Once the integrity of that begins to dissipate, they're in trouble. Anything tailored shouldn't be steamed. Good to know. I'm writing that down. By the way, Tim, we love you in our household even more now since you started voicing the character Bailiwick. Oh, <laughs> I have a I son. I have Bailey a little Wick. boy. How do you get a gig like that? I would love a voiceover job like that. And apparently they created that character for you. Well, that's exactly how it happened. They sent me a script for a 60-minute film. Uh, film. I did, yeah, yeah a, 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 a movie. Um and the producers sent the script. They sent a drawing of Bailiwick, and they said, we, we just want you to know, we really built Bailiwick based on you. I mean, he looks like you. We hear him having your voice, and we would be so happy if he would agree to do this. Well, I read the script, and I thought, good heavens, this is feel-good television with a nice morality tale. I didn't know it would develop into a whole series. Um, I said, this is, I, I'd love and be honored to be part of this. So that's how it happened. I just wanted to, wanted to say, because it, it, your question was a catalyst for this thought. I mean, the wonderful thing about my life and why I say I'm so lucky and I'm knocking wood right now as I say that, I don't have to, I, I've never chased anything. I've never said, I want to have that. Let's go find this out if we can get it. Things come to me and with my agent, I, we, we weigh the pros and cons and the viability or lack of, um, and that's how things around me happen. And I mean, it's just been, it's been a phenomenon. Well, you are a very lucky guy, but you also make your luck, Tim. You go after these opportunities. You take the risk sometimes, you know, and and uh, I think that's a, an, a, a wonderful lesson for everyone. And I will end here now with your quote, which you sort of mentioned already, but I have it now and I, I copied and pasted it from the Internet because I loved it so much. It's about taking the high road, right? Take the high road. Yeah. These are your words. No matter how much strife, consternation, frustration and anger you might be confronted with, with, don't go to that level. I know? believe that. <laughs> Unless you're on that one episode of Project Runway and you just... You know. <laughs> well, that was the case of the high road getting so high that I did. I was getting a nosebleed. I thought it's time to get off. 
Yeah. Time to get off the high road. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was such an honor and a treat for me. I'm, I'm selfishly saying this. I've wanted to have you on the show for, since it launched in January. And uh, good luck with your new program, Project Runway Junior. We'll all be tuning into that and wishing you continued success, my friend. Well, Trinish, thank you so very, very much. And as I said, I'm a huge fan. and I have your books and you've been an inspiration for me and will continue to be. So we have to stay in touch. For sure. If I if we happen to cross paths again, I will definitely extend my arm and shake Wonderful. your hand next time. <laughs> Wonderful. Have a good day. Thank you so much. Take care. So I'm thinking about doing a big old mic drop now. I mean, I could just end the show right here, right now, right? Tim Gunn, Farnoosh, so money. See you later. I've done everything I've ever had wanted to do with this podcast, but of course that's not going to happen. I'm just going to say that if you'd like to follow Tim, and I'm sure you already are, if you haven't, do it. He is at Tim Gunn on Twitter. And of course, as always, the transcript and comments from this episode over at somoneypodcast.com. And there you can click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your question every Friday. I turn the tables and answer your money questions. Thanks again to my guest, Tim Gunn. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. Hope your day is so money. So money.